You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 42 for Monday the 19th of December 2016. My guest on the show this week is writer, editor, author and blogger Dina Santarelli. Dina is the author of the award-winning debut novel Baby Grand, a top-rated mystery thriller and best-selling organised crime thriller on Amazon Kindle. Having edited more than a thousand articles over the years, Dina has developed a keen and confident eye when it comes to polishing writers' text, whether for articles or books. Dina has been a freelance writer for over 15 years. She's written for many publications and websites, including Newsday, First for Women and CNNMoney.com. I began this week's interview by asking Dina how she got started as a freelance writer. I was actually in high school. I was actually sort of a math science whiz. Um, Writing was something that was very challenging to me, but something that always captivated me. Um, And I actually thought that I I think I always wanted to be I I think I always wanted to be a fiction writer, um, but I wasn't sure. I I guess I think I was unsure of my abilities. Um, And so I sort of found myself um, on the high school newspaper as the news one of the news editors. And I really enjoyed it. And I felt like journalism really um, was a good fit for me. I thought it was uh, very direct writing. I thought that it was, you know, very to the point and, uh, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, um, that whole inverted pyramid type of writing really suited my skills. And so I sort of followed that in college and I studied um, broadcast journalism and I sort of took it from there. After college, I worked at a local newspaper and then I went into the trades and then after I had my first child, I ended up becoming a freelance writer. It was sort of a natural progression. Um, so that's how I, I found myself a freelance writer. When you look at your LinkedIn profile, there's a great long list there of of, of clients like cnnmoney.com and, and decorating spaces and advisormax.com. Loads and loads of, of publications and clients that you've been involved with. Uh, so when you were writing as a freelancer, presumably you were getting to grips with a number of topics as, as the average journalist has to. Correct. Um, it didn't happen as easily as you'd think it would happen. I found um, a lot of roadblocks along the way. Like for instance, when I started freelancing, um, when I, I, I w- at the time I was working in the trades and I was covering a very spe- a specific field. I was covering the home furnishings industry. Um, so um, I had gone from working in local news and then I sort of got on board a uh, local floor covering publication. And that then I from there I moved on to a publication that dealt with home furnishings, everything from lamps and accessories to mattresses and furniture. Um, so when I went freelance and I had the desire to write for what you know, what are called consumer publications as opposed to trade publications, I just thought the doors would be open for me because I had all this experience writing, um, never thinking or never knowing that they were looking. They would look at my resume and say, "Well, we're looking for uh, writers that have written the kinds of stories you know that we publish." Um, it wasn't necessarily um, my. 
my writing skills that they were looking at, but the types of writing that I was doing. And so I found myself having to prove myself. Um, and I, I started taking jobs that, you know, were for freebie publications that you'd find at the supermarket. I would, I would do work for very little money and just to build up that portfolio so that I could go to some of the bigger publications like Newsday at the time. That was like the ma- my main goal. I was going to write for Newsday and from there I was going to you know, pick another publication that I was going to set as my next goal. Um, and then after I developed a really good success uh, and successful freelance writing career, um, I got the opportunity to work on my first nonfiction book as a collaborator. And I found myself running into the same roadblocks again. Um, here I was. I had this fant- fantastic freelance writing career. I'd had all this experience in the consumer press and also in the trades. But um, the woman basically said to me, the one that I was uh, looking to work with, she said, you know, Dina, I love you and I think you, you know, I'd really like to work with you, but I'm, I, you just have never written a book before. And I thought to myself, oh, gosh, you know, here we are again. You know, I find myself uh, ready and willing, but, you know, they don't, just because I haven't done the type of, necessarily the type of writing that they're looking for, they're not sure if I can do it. So I basically said to her, listen, I'm so sure that I have the skill set that you need, that I'm willing to write the first 20 pages for you and submit it to you. And if you find that it's not what you're looking for, I will walk away. Um, but if it is what you're looking for, and, you know, then obviously you can feel free to hire me. Um, so I did that and I, I submitted the 20 pages and she came back to me and she loved them. And we ended up working together, not only on that project, but on several projects after that. Um, so yeah, so writing has been, I, I love, it, it's interesting to me that, you know, uh, people look at my resume, like you were saying, and there's a long list of clients, but to me, when I look at that long list, I, I see all these different roadblocks and all these different opportunities that came up during the last 25 years. So it's been, it's been very fun and very eventful, but sometimes very challenging. We've got to talk about your list of impressive celebrities here. I mean, Dina, look, Norman Reedus, for goodness sake. That is such a, a cool interview to have under your belt now, isn't it? Yes, yes. I'm one of those people that, you know, I get the, get it in my head that I'm going to interview someone. And I, nothing, and I feel like, you know, I'm just going to go for it. And a lot of people will say, oh, that person will never talk to you. or But I, I never hear that. I just think, well, no, I can do this. And why wouldn't they talk to me? So um, I'm actually currently, in addition to being a freelance writer and also an author, I am the executive editor of two military publications um, based in the United States. Um, one is Family Magazine and one is Salute Magazine. And I happened to be on, uh, I think it was Instagram one day, and I was scrolling through various, you know, pr- uh, people's profiles, and I came across this one organization, and I saw that Norman Reedus was going, uh, Norman Reedus was either going to be there or had just been there, and I thought, oh, this is perfect, it was a military uh, charity, so I thought this is a perfect connection, so I reached out to the organization and said that I was interested in, in profiling what they do and also if they could connect me to Mr. Reedus, and it actually worked out, you know, and he, when I interviewed him, it was actually um, late in the evening, he was in the middle of shooting The Walking Dead, and uh, he was he was talking to me, I think I had like 10 or 15 minutes with him, and he was so gracious, um, and it's one of those interviews that, you know, you'll just never forget. What do you get when you talk to these um, seemingly untouchable stars? Do you think it takes away a lot of the fear in life when you when you get used to doing that? A lot of the fear, I um, yeah, you know, I think that I what I've learned over the many years that I've uh, interviewed celebrities is that really they're just 
they really are no different than, than you or, or me. You know, they just have very high-profile lives and very high-profile careers. But um, most, the vast majority of the celebrities I've spoken to are just really cool, you know, and they're just looking to, you know, enjoy themselves and have a, have a meaningful career, something that's fulfilling, have a family. Um, so, yeah, so I, I would agree that it definitely takes away some of that, that fear. In terms of your freelance writing then, and when you came to this first um, you know, full-length book project, how many words had, had you written as, as a single project at that time? Because a book is quite a journey, isn't it? It's quite a stint of writing. Yes, that's funny. I, people have asked me that before, and I, I, I'm guessing that probably up, up until that first book, the longest project I ever did was probably a term paper in college. I mean, something that was maybe 30, 40, 50 pages long. Um, and I think that I, for some reason, I, I, I didn't find it daunting at all. I just, I guess my philosophy is, you know, one day at a time, one page at a time. And that's the way, even though, you know, today that I approach all of my writing, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, um, you know, just get the words down and worry about the length and worry about the quality, you know, later. I'm always very interested talking to journalists, obviously, obviously because I've been one. And one of my philosophies is that people who are used to writing to deadlines don't have the kind of blocks that many people experience. Because when you've got a deadline, when an article has to be in, you can't sit around waiting for the inspiration to come. It's just got to be done. And I think that my theory is, is that it helps you when you come to the books. Is that your experience? Yes, yes, I would agree with that very much. Um, as you were talking, I actually had a visual in my head of when I was working at one of the home furnishings publications, and I had like four pages to fill with copy, and I only had three stories. And I remember looking up at the copy editor and, you know, and saying, okay, I, 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 I can't fill that fourth page yet. And he looked at me, he's like, well, that's not my problem. You know, <laughs> I have to get it done, whether, in, whether I find art to fill the page or find news stories somewhere, or I have to get it. Yeah, you're, so you're right. You know, you, and I find that that same mentality works for me when I'm, when I'm on my own and there's really no one hovering over me. There's still myself ho- hovering over me. You know, I'm, I'm always setting deadlines for myself, and I, I always try to stick to them, even you know, though I know that you know, I won't get too mad at myself if I miss a deadline. But, um, but yeah, so that mentality definitely carries over from uh, the journalism to the nonfiction and fiction writing. In terms, then, of proving a training ground for you, what did you get from your years as a freelance writer? What specific skills did that give you? When I started out, um, and, and to, even to this day, um, I'm actually a very shy person. <laughs> and I, I found that being becoming a journalist was something um, that made me really have to face, you know, face that aspect of myself. I needed to sort of step forward all the time and be the one in the room that was asking the questions. Um, so, and it also, what journalism did for me as a, as a fiction writer was it forced me to really take a hard look at everything that I was observing. So, um, let's say I was working in the trades and writing about furniture. I was looking at the quality of the furniture, the color, the size, the design, the manufacturing information. Um, and I'm constantly being forced to really take in what I'm seeing and really, you know, analyze it, then that's something I didn't do before. You know, I think I was sort of raised and, you know, we, we were sort of middle class and we didn't really have, you know, that much money. So we just sort of accepted life as it was. But so this was new for me to sort of go out there and sort of ask questions and challenge and, 
and observe and analyze. Um, and it forced me, who was the shy girl from Queens, New York, to sort of learn how to have a conversation with a perfect stranger. Um, and so all those skills, those skills of observation and asking questions are skills that I use as a fiction writer, um, except the only difference is I'm not doing it with actual, you know, people that I'm, you know, real people. I'm doing it with fictional characters, but I am asking those same questions and making those same observations. And what about the craft of writing? What did you take from your your freelance non-fiction writing to your fiction? Um... I think probably the greatest thing I took was um, my the sense of organization, how to organize a book and how to sort of also just take it a page at a time because I did write nonfiction books before I went into fiction books. And so um, I was able to just say, okay, you know, get through this first page, get through this next chapter, get through the first five chapters, you know, and not worry about you know, what's, what the end product is going to be, you know, trust the process and every, and believe that everything will come together in the end. You have on your Amazon author page, some uh, amazing co-authored books. So I'm looking here at Raising Men, Lessons Navy Seals Learned from Their Training and Talk to Their Sons. And yes. I Spy, How to Be Your Own Private Investigator. So in your nonfiction, this, this, range this ability to deal with a range of topics is obviously really paying off now correct correct i mean that's the other thing too i mean as for instance my first job out of college as a local uh news reporter i was covering all kinds of events you know um i was a gen- and currently being a general assignment freelancer the same idea uh so that has also carried over into my nonfiction work um people i guess know that they can come to me um really for any type of project whether it's working with a navy seal or working with um or doing a biography of daft punk or doing, uh, you know, working with a private investigator. Um, I think that one of my strengths actually is in working with people, no matter where they come from, and just sort of pulling um, all that all that experience that they've had out of them um, to make a really good and compelling book. And how does that experience look like, uh, Dina? When you're actually sitting down with somebody, do you do it by recording the interviews or is, is it a written exercise for you? <sighs> Um, it depends. In some cases, I am recording the interviews and sort of just work and going over them and transcribing them later. Other times, I'm working very closely with the, as a collaborator with the author. Um, a lot of back and forth, um, you know, to get to really to really sharpen, uh, you know, what they're trying to say and um, make it palatable for for a general audience or make it interesting for a general audience. You've had such a, a, an interesting time here. I've just another one of the titles here: uh, "Good Girls Don't Get Fat: How Weight Obsession Is Messing Up um, Our Girls." That's a fascinating title. It sounds like you're really getting your teeth into very interesting topics. Yes, yes. That that was actually the first project that I mentioned before. The one that was my first nonfiction book collaboration, and that was the one where I said, L- "Let me just give you the first twenty pages, and you can decide if you know you'd like to work with me or not." So I'm thrilled that I got the go ahead, and I was able to work with uh, Dr. Silverman and uh, do many more projects like that. One of the things that strikes me when I look at your uh, Amazon author page is that because you get your co-authoring, you, 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 some of these books have got a lot of reviews on them. So that must have been pretty good for building your profile as, a, as an Amazon author in the first instance. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, to answer your question, yes, it's been very helpful. Um, 
And I, you know, a lot of that stuff is determined um, during the contract phase, exactly what kind of um, attribution you're going to get. You know, where will your name, will your name appear? Will it appear at all? You know, sometimes, you know, uh, collaborators are essentially ghostwriters or, and, you know, no one knows that it's a collaboration other than the author. Um, but I've been blessed in that the writers and the people that I've worked with um, have given me credit, you know, for the work that I've done. You've done a phenomenal amount of work. What I want to know now then is where, when did you decide to get back to the fiction? Because you, you, said, you said as a younger, a younger woman, you didn't have the confidence. You didn't feel like you had the skills to write fiction. At what point did that fiction start to nag away at the back of your head again? I would say about 10 years ago, um, well, all this time, I should say, even while I was working as a journalist full-time or when I was freelancing, I was still getting all these kinds of ideas for books. Um, I, my whole life, I've always gotten ideas, and I've always written them down. You know, back in the 90s, I'd write them down on small pieces of paper, that kind of thing. And nowadays, when I get ideas, um, obviously, it, uh, I'm putting, jotting them, them down digital, digitally. I'm doing it through email or through, you know, apps like Evernote. Um, but I would say 10 years ago, I thought to myself, I was in my late 30s, and I said, you know, um, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> um, and I think that I've reached a point where um, I'm, I'm confident in my writing ability. I, I, if, you, if you've read my, my fiction, you'll see that I kind of write my fiction like a journalist. I'm, I'm not very flowery in my descriptions. I sort of just focus on action and plot. Um, so I, but that's the kind of writing that I like. And so I decided to take the plunge um, about 10 years ago. And I actually went back to school. I went to Hofstra University to get my graduate degree. Um, and I did that because I needed, I felt like I needed to be around other people that were interested in literature and studying to be a writer. Um, at the time, I had very young children. I have, I have three children. And I think at the time, they were like... Um, gosh, maybe seven years old, five years old, and two. Um, and I was able to go back to school on a part-time basis and just be immersed in that whole milieu, you know. Um, so after f I graduated within four years, and by the time I graduated, I had a partial manuscript done for my first novel, which was Baby Grand. So presumably you got the support uh, and the guidance and the feedback of the group while you were studying on that course. Correct, correct. I, for me, I was more interested in what the professors had to say. Um, I actually, I had a book signing over the weekend, I, and I got this question. Um, someone asked me if I participate in, like, local writers groups and things like that. And I've, I've tried them, but I don't find them very helpful. I guess for me, I'm looking for someone, like, I guess some sort of authority figure <laughs> to sort of tell me that I'm on the right track, whether it's a professor or whether it's, you know, an agent, that kind of thing. Um, this, and again, this is early on, so I, I sort of needed that that authority figure. And so, yeah, so I would go to, to class and I would be um, contributing work for these creative writing workshops and getting feedback not only from the students but also from the professor. And, uh, I, you know, and I got good feedback, so I thought, you know, well, maybe I'm on to something. I'm pleased that you said that as a journalist you write very directly and you don't use a lot of flowery language. We're not writing literary fiction here. We're writing words that you want people to read do you think that really lends itself to the genre that you're writing in oh for sure i think that and i write crime fiction and i definitely think it lends itself to that genre um and it's just i guess a coincidence or maybe you know maybe not but uh, that i happen to love that genre and i've always loved that genre since i was a little girl um when i used to find these little um construction paper 
uh, little little books that I'd write, and I'd write these um, scary stories at a very young age, at, you know, on construction paper. Um, so that that yearning to be um, a writer of like suspense and not necessarily gory fiction, but just suspenseful and uh, you know, seat of your pants kind of fiction has been with me as as long as I know. It's three hundred and fifty-eight pages. So, what, do you know what that equates to in words? Um, yeah, I actually kind of do it. <laughs> it's funny how some things stay with you. Um, the Baby Grand is about 93,000 words. Okay, so how was that as a writing experience for you then? 93,000 words, which is, is quite a hike, <laughs> you know, especially after maybe writing shorter form articles. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, and it's almost like, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I was doing something that I absolutely loved and I thought I had a knack for. Um, but that's not to say that every night, and, you know, because I used to write, for Baby Grand, I used to write in the middle of the night. I used to set my alarm for 2 o'clock in the morning because I had young children, and I used to crawl down to my computer and I would just peck away for a couple of hours and then I'd crawl back to bed. Um, but that's not to say that during during those two hours or during those times that I wasn't saying to myself, you know, what am I doing? Does it, is anyone going to care about this? Am I any good? I mean, it was just constant doubt, constant, you know, and, and I should just throw in the towel. What am I doing? I'm taking time away from my kids. I'm taking time away from my, my work, from my, from my health. Um, but I'm, I don't know what it was. I'm, I was just so driven to write fiction, which is something, as I said, I've always wanted to do that I just figured, you know, why not? Maybe this might be the worst story ever written, but you know what? I'm going to write it and see what happens. That really is some considerable commitment, uh, getting up at two o'clock in the morning to write. Congratulations on that. What, what does a writing day look like, like, writing night for you? What does a writing night look like? How many words are you getting done? Do you, do you set targets? Yeah, for Baby Grand, um, I especially for, I'd say for the last half or the last three quarters of the book, I was writing a thousand words a day. I would really force myself to to write that many words, a thousand words. And now some days, the words it just flowed. I, I'd be done within an hour, but there were some days where it just wasn't coming. So it was just uh, you know constant. Like I said before, taking showers, going for walks, <laughs> eating cookies, anything that would just get me to you know reach that target every day. And as a as a writer by profession, when you do write, is it pretty tidy writing or does it need you to come back and, and tidy it up and rework it afterwards? Oh, the first draft is a disaster. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible. Um, and, and that was something that I had to learn to live with. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think as a journalist, I kind of knew that, you know, that's the way, that was my process. You know, I would just sort of get all the facts down and sort of finesse everything later or, you know, right before I had to submit the story. Um, and so I kind of use that today with my fiction writing. I just sort of, when I see the plot in my mind, just get it down, get it down, and then worry about all the bells and whistles or whatever bells and whistles I have, because there aren't that many, you know, worry about those things later. And how do you write? Are you, are you writing into Microsoft Word or do you use a form of software? I use Microsoft Word. And how do you get on with that when it comes to the actual, um, the editing process? Um... I just, yeah, I, I guess I'm so used to it. You know, I've been using Microsoft Word for, you know, 20 years of my career, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Um, I'm, and I'm very familiar with my keyboard so that, you know, every time something happens to my laptop or I have to work on another device, I'm all, like, discombobulated for a while because I'm so used to the way the, the, the keys feel on my finger pads. Um, so, yeah, so, so Microsoft Word is, is, is great in terms of the writing and also the editing.
And, and once you've written the book, once you've got your 93,000 words, what for you then is the next process in terms of sending it to an editor, to a proofreader, getting covers done? How, how does that work for you? Once I, do, once I finish the first draft, um, I, take, I take that book and I put it in the proverbial drawer and I just don't look at it for about a month. I mean, I've learned that I really just need to get it st- step away. Because um, I, I become too close to the material, and I, I sense that as I'm as I'm writing, you know, that I'm when I'm reading, I'm not really reading the words. I'm reading what I remember the words were, um, and so I just I, I just need some distance, and so I put it away, and then I come back to it maybe four to six weeks later. Um, and as I did with Baby Grand, which is very interesting, because I thought when I finished Baby Grand, I thought, you know, yay, I wrote my first book, I was thrilled, and you know, it was a parade. And then when I looked at it again for that first time after writing the end the first time I was appalled at the writing of the first page I remember being stuck on that first paragraph on in chapter one for hours staring at it thinking this is awful what was I thinking you know what was I thinking that I was done with this book um so yeah so there's definitely a a very thorough editing process that follows that waiting period um when I finished the first draft um, you've said a couple of things during this interview that I just want to probe a little bit more. One of the things you said is that you, you, you think you're very shy. I'm going to talk to you about this later because I, your uh, publicity, the way you publicise yourself is excellent online. I, I'll, I'll delve into that later. Um, but also you seem to suffer a little bit from self-doubt. You, you've said that you've sat in the middle of the night thinking, is this rubbish? Am I wasting my time? Which is an experience that many writers have. How, how do you, you push through that? I don't know. You know, a lot of people had asked, have asked me that, and I, I, I wish I knew the answer. I guess, I, you know, this is, this, is a, this is totally unrelated, but um, a friend of mine was, t- was talking about her sister and how her sister wanted to have children, and she was going through all these kinds of procedures to have children, and my friend said, you know, I don't know if I would do something like that. And I said, well, it all depends on what we want. You know, if, if, she, if your sister really wants children, she'll do whatever it takes to have children. If somebody really wants a certain career or profession, they're going to do whatever it takes to have that. And I feel, I guess that's what pushed me forward in terms of my fiction. And that's also, I, I know we haven't spoken about this yet, but that's also why I decided to sort of take charge of my writing and become a self-published author. Um, I just, I felt like I needed to make this happen and I needed to make it happen um, in a way that, that, you know, suited me and, and that I was happy with. Let's talk about the self-publishing then. So did you aspire to be tr- traditionally published? Did you go through all the, the agent submissions or did you just go straight for indie publishing? I actually, I guess having been a writer, a professional writer all this time, I, you know, I think like a lot of other authors for a long time, we thought, okay, there's a certain way that things happen. You know, you write a book, you get an agent, then you get a deal. Maybe you get a deal or not, but, you know, there's a process. And as I was writing Baby Grand, I was also blogging and I was also paying attention to what was going on in the industry. Um, and I saw the growth of ebooks and I saw the growth of self-published books, you know, how the quality had increased. Um, so after I finished working on Good girls don't get fat, I actually approached um, the book packager uh, slash literary agent that I was working with for that book, and I let her know that, you know, hey, I just wrote a partial manuscript for a novel. Was this something that you'd be interested in looking at? Because we had a wonderful working relationship, and I don't, I, 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 I'd like to think that maybe she was humoring me, that she thought, oh, sure, you know, send it to me. I, I guess I never really thought that she expected to like it, but it turns out that she did. Um, and 
she just she she took me on as one of her one of her authors um and so from there i got you know a kick in the butt to finish the book and then went through a couple of rounds of editing on on my part and then we started sending it out to um publishers we sent it out on a very limited basis we probably sent it out to about maybe 10 editors at large publishing houses here in the United States. And I started getting the rejections. And luckily, being an, a journalist and being a freelance journalist, I am very familiar with rejection. <laughs> it's still a part of my life. So, um, you know, they started coming in. Um, but the thing that I didn't understand, like I, I had a hard time figuring out, you know, some of, of, the, of the feedback I was getting. Um, a lot of times, editors were not interested in taking my book on because, because they already had enough crime fiction authors and you know they didn't want to add any more to their list or maybe um with the type of books that i w- was writing they weren't really trending at the time at the time it was all about you know vampire books and you know 50 shades of gray was on the horizon um and then i'd get an editor t- telling me you know i think that your writing is so good but the storytelling oh not so good and then honestly the next day i got a comment saying the storytelling was phenomenal but my writing wasn't so good. So there's a lot of conflicting information for me. So I sat, we were on, I remember this, we were sitting in Manhattan, we were on Fifth Avenue having lunch, and she said to me, well, where do we go from here? And I said to her, in all honesty, I said, you know, I, th- I think I want to try self-publishing. And she kind of looked at me, like, in horror. <laughs> um, I think only because I think that she was afraid for me. And she, and she knew, as well as I do, there were very few success stories at the time, especially in self-publishing. Um, and, you know, and the quality was getting better, but it still wasn't that great. And she, you know, but she trusted me. And she said, well, you know, I, I support you. And we sort of, we're still friends and we're still colleagues, but we sort of parted ways in that way in terms of, you know, the whole agent-author relationship. And so I went off on my own. And I actually used her company, which offers a lot of author services for self-publishers. So I did my cover design and my interior design and my copy editing through her company. Um, but I was, I, I was excited. I mean, for me, I was sort of, you know, in charge of my own destiny at this point. So I was going to make this book work. I was beyond enthusiastic and optimistic. And so I published my the ebook of Baby Grand in May of 2012 and then I published the paperback um that August and then I did the audiobook the following February. And um I I I mean listen, I'm no Stephen King, but I'm thrilled to say that, you know, I'm I I think I'm a successful self-published author. Um I've I've you know, the book has done very well in terms of my expectations and I think, you know, general expectations. And I'm, I'm ready as I move forward. Um, I just published my, uh, self-published my second book and I expect to self-publish many more books, you know, as I go along. Well, Baby Grand in the States has 125 customer reviews with an average of 4.7 stars. That's a pretty good achievement. So congratulations uh, on that. Um, oh, thank you. That's, that's just, you know, wonderful. Uh, so, you know, congratulations on, on doing that yourself. And I love the cover, too. I think it's really, really very striking. And because you've got the two books now, I think they stand out really well um, as, a, as a series, too. Um I think uh, most people, when they self-publish the first book, they they upload it, it's there, and and they feel proud of that. And then nothing happens. No one buys it, no one finds it. How did you get the momentum going with Baby Grand? That for the first day that I uploaded, that I they started, that I um, published Baby Grand as an ebook, um, I was I was 
blessed in that I had all my friends and all my colleagues on Facebook and Twitter just share the news. That was the first thing that was very exciting. It wasn't only me going onto Facebook and saying, hey, everybody, I just self-published my, you know, I just published my first book. Um, I had friends that were excited for me, and so they shared that post, and I saw it being shared over and over and over again. Um, and I've said this before to many people, um, social media has been just uh, I, I, I couldn't have been this, the, the, the self-published author that I am without social media. Um, the, the sharing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, I, I, I think that was, that was the reason that I was able to um, get the word out about my book. And, in term, and, when, and once that word got out, I found that people were reaching out to me. I mean, obviously, I was doing a lot of outreach and a lot of marketing, but also somehow friend, you know, friends of friends of friends of friends were finding my book and then coming to me and asking me if I'd like to attend book clubs or attend author events. And I just did whatever I could. I mean, I would drive, you know, I was driving everywhere just to, just to meet people and meet readers and, and, and get the word out. You also have got an audio book uh, produced as well. What, yes. what did that experience entail for you? Did you, Have you gone um, revenue share or did you put all the money in yourself for the, um, the narrator? I did revenue share on, on ACX.com. Um, that was something, and I had just learned about ACX.com that summer, the summer that I self-published Baby Grand. And because I always thought that um, audiobooks was just something that wasn't attainable for me as a self published author because I didn't have access to a studio. Uh, I guess that's what I was thinking. You know, I didn't have contacts in that industry, but um, ACX.com just made, made it so easy for me and, and put me in touch with various narrators who, you know, narrated that type of, of genre. And how has it worked out for you having the audio book? Would you do that again? I am doing it again, actually. I'm, I'm, it should be out by February 2017. So why have you why have you gone that route? Presumably, it's working very well for you. Is it in terms of sales? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Not in terms of sales, but I just feel for me it's important to have my book available in all the different forms that readers are reading or readers are listening to. Um, you know, it doesn't really. At this point, I'm doing a revenue share again for Baby by Lino, so it doesn't really cost me anything in terms of money. So it's just really my time, and I don't mind giving that. So. You know, I, I think, I, and I'll, the other thing is I also believe in, I believe in these books and I believe that they will, sales will continue to grow as we go along. I did an audio book for one of my books too, as an experiment mainly. And I felt that because I hadn't got enough reviews that no one would want to do revenue share with me until I maybe got 50, 60, four to five star reviews. Did you wait until you'd got the reviews, until you invited the, the revenue share, or did you just go ahead anyway and, and you got a bite? Somebody agreed to do it. Yeah, I just, I got a bite. Um, I w I'm not sure exactly how much they researched me beforehand. I mean, because I do have good reviews for Baby Grand and, and now Baby Bailino on, on Amazon, but I have one review of Baby Grand on audible.com and it's not a favorable review. Um, I'm not sure why. I think the, the listener had a problem with the narrator, which again, everything is subjective and, you know, this, this person's entitled to that, to that opinion. Uh, so I'm assuming that, um, I'm assuming that he did research me, but, you know, even if, even in seeing that one bad review for Baby Grand, he decided to, to go and uh, contract with me. You told me that you were shy, and <laughs> look, looking at your web presence before you and I spoke, I would say that you come over as anything 
but shy, uh, <laughs> only because you promote yourself so well. Now, th- this is an experience that many authors have. They're, they're shy, but you've got to promote yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to sell any books. How, how do you deal with that? Um, I, I think I'm less shy than I used to be. And I think uh, my career has made me... Um, more um more of a people person <laughs> mm-hmm. um so i think that um and also i think that i sort of comp- compartmentalize i think that i you know okay well this is dina you know everyday dina and then this is dina promoter this is dina business person so i can i you know being a journalist too i'm able to walk into a room and sort of turn it on so to speak you know what i'm saying um and just sort of you know do what i have to do um to either uh, write a story or to sell books or advance my career, whatever it is. Um, but that being said, you know, I'm genuine and I try to be genuine in everything that I do. It's not that I become a completely different person, but I do try to, you know, just sort of give myself a little kick in the butt to sort of, you know, well, this is what you have to do for your business. So you have to sort of, you know, put aside any doubts that you have or any, you know, any tables you want to crawl under and just sort of get the job done. But it's so important, and and as a as a podcast host, when I'm researching people online, when I find a web presence like you've got, I can check you out on Facebook. You've got a proper Amazon author page. You've got a blog. It makes it so easy for people like me to say, "Oh, this is definitely somebody I want to be speaking to." But you know, I might be an agent. You know, I might be somebody who wants to to offer you a deal. I might be wanting to make a movie of your books. I think it's so important to be found online, isn't it? I agree. I agree. You, like I said before, when I was talking about in terms of having your book available in all the forms that you know people read and listen to, um, same for your brand. You really have to be everywhere that people are. You know, whether it's social media or whether it's you know Amazon. Um, you know, the more places you can be, the it's only better for you. And you look amazing online. You've done some videos as well. You've done book trailers. Can you talk me through how you do those? Oh gosh, those were fun, and those I, I you know, I think that I think self pub. I'm the perfect candidate for self publishing because I really think that I embrace every aspect of of what's involved, what from the writing and the editing to all of the business and marketing that goes with it. I like doing everything, and um, I have always been looking at book trailers, and I actually do not believe that book trailers sell books. I, you know, it's not, it's not the same as when you go to a, see a film and you see a trailer of another film before that film and you say, oh, I want to see that film when it comes out. I don't think people buy books in that way. I really think it's more along the lines of like, um, you know, word of mouth and that kind of thing. I, don't, I can't think of anybody who said to me, you know what, I saw this really great book trailer and it made me want to you know, read this book. Um, but I sort of did it because, again, I wanted to just have something and, and YouTube is a very visual medium, you know, and so I wanted something for YouTube that, um, and and I said to myself, well, let me see what I can do. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty good with graphics. And so honestly, the, the tiny little book trailer that I did took me half an hour to do using my, the cover of my book, um, uh, Microsoft PowerPoint. And I think my son helped me out with something, <laughs> but it was, it was really very simple. And I, again, I just wanted to have a presence on YouTube and that's why I did it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be expensive. And as you say, um, if you're on YouTube, you're available in a different format, which means other people who prefer video can find you. It's just about being found all the time, isn't it? Right. Right. Exactly. You want to be everywhere that you can be. And uh, the, the one that really gets me, the one social media is um, Pinterest. I mean, I am on Pinterest and I have various uh, boards, as they say, you know, with various different topics. And um, but I 
I, I'm not sure that I'm utilizing it in the way that I should be or if, if I'm making the most of it. So that's sort of my next, my next goal. Take a look at Pinterest and see what I can do to reach more people there. Well, that's interesting because I, I struggle with Pinterest as an author too. And I was, uh, I was interviewing uh, an author of historical fiction in the UK called Melissa Addy, who I thought was using Pinterest in an excellent way, in that she'd written uh, Chinese historical novels. And while she was re- researching, she'd gone around looking for for pictures of locations in, in China. And she'd gathered, she'd created these boards really for her own research. And then she thought, hang on, there's some lovely material here. And she put the, the boards on Pinterest and made them public and, and had um, her book covers on top of them. And it was very, very effective, just showing the locations effectively um, of her book. But I thought, well, you know what, that's inspired. It's very simple, but actually locations of books is really inspired. Is that something you could do? Do you, do you root your book in locations? I think that's a great idea. Uh, actually, my books are ba- based mostly in New York, mm-hmm. uh, New York City, Long Island, um, Albany are the main locations for Baby Grand. Um, I, for, for Pinterest, what I started doing that I felt was kind of successful was I started thinking about, um, well, what do people want to see on Pinterest? What, what kind of pictures do people want to look at? And I thought, people love celebrities. So I thought that I would start talking about the people that were good candidates to play my characters in movies. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. So. So I would, you know, for me, my main character, one of the villain, the villain of my Baby Grand series is based on Robert De Niro. Um, so I sort of started there. So I started, you know, posting pictures of Robert De Niro. But obviously, this idea that came to me for Baby Grand is about 20 years old. So I think Robert De Niro is probably about 20 years too old to play <laughs> the villain in my book. So then we start go from there. You know, what about Tom Cruise? What about this person? And um, I find that people like those kinds of things because, you know, everybody loves celebrities. Which would you say is the best social media channel for you? Because you're on, uh, I've got you're on Twitter, uh, you're on uh, Facebook, you're on LinkedIn too, which is important, I think, probably for your nonfiction. I would, I would guess as well. Uh, which works best for you? I would say the two, the two that work best for me are Facebook and Twitter. Facebook, mm. in terms of just my friends, um, I don't really use Facebook as not really for for general marketing. I just sort of talk to my friends through it. I, I highlight my book to, every now and then to my friends. Um, I also use my, my business page on Facebook, but not to the extent that I use uh, Twitter. I find that Twitter has been just phenomenal in getting new readers to me, you know, especially the use of the hashtag. The invention of the hashtag has been a blessing to, to self-published authors. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. I, I, um, Twitter is just absolutely amazing, I think, for an author. And I, and I totally agree with you. It's all based on the hashtags to find the right people in the right places. Right. And I'm always exper- uh, experimenting with different hashtags, you know, what works best or, uh, you know, just to, just to see what's out there and what, what, you know, develops the most likes or the most retweets. Or, and I'm constantly gauging sales to see, you know, what works. Yeah, brilliant. Do you do any um, form of paid advertising uh, at all? You know... Not really. I've I've experimented a little bit here and there with like Facebook ads, and I've done, you know, but but nothing really to speak of. And in terms of um, community, with um, being involved with the indie community, what kind of podcasts and, and organizations do you look to for information and support? Um, well, I'm a member of um, the of Ally. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you are too. And I, you know, I, I um, also as a journalist, I'm sort of, I go to Book Expo every year and I, um, I'm, 
I, you know, reach out to various authors there and I attend uh, lectures there. And But I, I'm actually not, believe it or not, I'm not a huge networker. Um, I sort of just do my own thing because it's worked for me. Um, but so overall, I, I guess uh, I have to say that I don't, Oh, no, that's another thing that I have attended to is Thriller Fest, you know, since it's my genre. Oh, yes. um, but I, I haven't been there in a couple of years. But, yeah, I'm always looking for ways to learn more about, you know, what people do and make them successful. Um, but at the same time, I sort of like just doing my own thing and see where it takes me. Now, let's take a look at what you've got on your planning board next then. So you've got the second thriller out now. How, how easy was that to write, by the way, the second thriller? When, when you've done the first one, did it come much more easily, the second one? Or was it was it even harder? It came a lot, a lot more easily. Right, yeah. I actually, I actually wrote a book in between. Um, I have this thing where even when I read a book, like in a series, I need to read something completely different before I read the next book in the series. And so, as a writer, I thought, well, that must be my process. So when I finished Baby Grand, I started writing a completely different thriller before I started writing Baby Bailino. Um, I'm thinking maybe that was a mistake. I think that I was still in that world. Um, that I had created for Baby Grand that I probably should have gone straight into Baby Bailino. But at the same time, I think I created some distance and maybe that's what made the writing of Baby Bailino so much easier. Um, but I remember sitting down that first day to write Baby Bailino and just writing and it was so much easier and, I, and, and, the, and the characters felt so comfortable to me. It really felt like, uh, you know, putting on an old pair of jeans, you know, or just going to a family reunion. And, and I, I remember having a big smile on my face. <laughs> what about that thriller then? Um, the other thriller hasn't been self-published though, has it? Not yet. Um, what's interesting is I had gotten some feedback on that second thriller and it was kind of critical. And so at the time I thought, well, you know what, I don't want to think about this now. I'm going to just plunge into Baby by Lino and I'll think about uh, this other book another time. So when I finished Baby by Lino, I thought, well, let me start thinking about this book that I have completely written, um, what I need to do with it. So I actually let my son, my oldest son, read it to see what he thought. And he came back to me and he said, you know, I think this is really good. And so I thought, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> the previous person that had read it had been a little bit critical. So it just so happened that uh, Pit Mad was going on on Twitter. Are you familiar with Pit Mad? Not at all, no. Pit Mad is um, a day, it, it, it happens four times a year, where when you use the hashtag Pit Mad, P-I-T-M-A-D, that's the day that all these literary agents and all these publishers are sort of scrolling through Twitter looking for books to pick up so it just so happened that pit mad was going on like that day or that week so i decided oh let me take part in pit mad so i tweeted a few things with my book idea and i did the hashtag for pit mad and wouldn't you know what i got some nibbles and so um one of the agents looked like you know it was it was here in new york so i thought well let me just take a chance and see what she thinks so i sent her the manuscript and and i'm still waiting to hear back so um Depending upon what she says, um, I really do intend on self-publishing that novel next summer. That's very, very exciting. So uh, back to the planning board then. What, what's coming next for you? What's coming next is I'm actually writing the third book in the Baby Grand uh, trilogy, um, which I hope to have out by summer of 2018. And then after I do that, I'm actually in the middle of writing my first women's fiction novel, um, which I'm very excited about because it's not a genre that I'm I, I've really known for, but it's something I've wanted to try. And so I'm hoping to uh, get that done, I would say, hopefully in the next year. Wow, that's really exciting. And are you going to um, publish different genres 
under the same author name. Yeah, you know, I've always had a problem with people having to change, you know, use pen names for various genres. And I know publishers have been doing this forever, but I don't know, maybe it's time to just, you know, I'm, I, I feel like authors are capable of so many kinds of things. You know, why do we have to, you know, pretend we're somebody else for a different genre? So, yeah, I, my plan is at this point to publish, you know, whatever genre I'm writing under my name, Dina Santarelli. I'm also interested that you're writing in a trilogy. Is this because kind of trilogies and series work for self-publishers? You know, it's funny. I wish I could say that that's the reason I decided to do a trilogy. But I actually intended Baby Grand to be a standalone novel. And it wasn't until I wrote, I was writing the end of it that I thought, oh, gosh, you know, I can see with one major change to the plot, I can see this book going on. So I decided to actually make that change and make the book uh, two book a uh, two book series, and then as I was finishing Baby by Lino, the same thing happened. I thought, oh gosh, imagine if we did this afterwards. And I thought, oh, this is crazy. I should just make it a trilogy. And so that's what I decided to do. And people keep asking, well, is there, there going to be a fourth book? And you know, you never say never. But I really intend this to be the last one. It'll be a three book uh, series, and we'll see what happens. And then presumably you'll use the old indie author trick of producing a box set out of those, will you? Yes. Well, that's, yeah, that's the plan. That's yeah. the plan. Great. Because it's, it's a great way to shift books, I think, using the box sets. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, uh, it, we're always spot for choice, but I am going to ask, where are the best places for people to connect with you online? Where, where are your preferred channels if people don't know you and want to get the experience? You can certainly contact me through my website, dinasantarelli.com, and use the contact form there. Um, or you can contact me through um, any of my social media uh, contact points, whether it's uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I, I'm really good at um, returning calls and returning emails. So if you reach out to me, chances are you'll heal back from me, uh, I would say, within 24 hours. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>